0: Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, what's at the top of the agenda as Justin Trudeau puts together a plan for his government? They returned us in
1: government but with a clear requirement to work uh, with other parties on the priorities that Canadians spoke clearly to uh, during the election campaign, particularly affordability and the fight against climate change.
0: Do provincial premiers have some responsibility to ensure national unity isn't fractured? As I said to Prime Minister Trudeau when we first met in May of this year in in his office, I said, Prime Minister, the, the first obligation of anybody in your position is to strengthen national unity but it's actually being undermined in the province that has contributed more than, uh, than any other in our modern economic history. And as Conservatives review the disappointing results of the election, will Andrew Scheer survive as leader? Yes, I am staying as leader of the party. Uh, we obviously uh, are very uh, happy with the many aspects of the campaign. Uh, we, uh, we obviously wish we uh, had better results, but we point to the fact that we won the popular vote. It's Monday, October 28th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Peter Van Dusen, CPAC's executive producer and the host of Primetime Politics. Good morning, Peter. Good morning, Mark. So it's been a week since the election, and we're starting this week with lots of questions about the direction that Justin Trudeau will take as Prime Minister with a renewed mandate now, a minority government. What will be at the top of his agenda? Who will be in his cabinet? How will he solve the problem of Alberta and Saskatchewan, not having elected any Liberal MPs? What do you think is front and center for Justin Trudeau today and this week?
1: Mark, kind of, you've just stated it always, we're, we're starting this week the way we ended last week. I mean, the big questions are still before us. Uh, how How is he going to deal with representation from two provinces that didn't elect any Liberal MPs? Um, you know, how is he going to deal with what, what is clearly some serious pushback in those two provinces in Western Canada? And he needs to get control of that before it develops into something bigger. And before it gets uh, worse than it is, so yeah, those are at the top of this time You know, I'm, uh, I think what's going to be happening this week is he's really going to start drilling down on uh, how he deals with the representation issue and how he how he handles that in cabinet. And we've seen all kinds of discussion and commentary over the weekend of, of people who are willing to step up and are willing to help out. And you know, and Haiden uh, the mayor of Calgary, Alison Redford, the former. Uh, progressive conservative premier of Alberta. I guess when I hear all that, what I wonder, Mark, is what role do they think they could play and what role is he actually looking for? I think we're past the point of trying to find representatives for those two provinces to tell a federal government what they're thinking. I mean, there were cabinet ministers in those provinces. There were MPs in those provinces. The fact there aren't any anymore suggests pretty clearly we know what the voters in those two provinces were thinking. They don't like uh, the carbon tax. I don't like the equalization formula, and they want changes. So I guess I'm a little. Uh, I'm kind of wondering how he's going to deal with this because he doesn't need people to tell him what they're thinking out in Alberta and Saskatchewan. Uh, he needs to decide whether he's going to amend his policies to satisfy what he's hearing about those concerns. It's pretty clear what they think. So I'm interested to see where he comes down on the idea of actually responding to those concerns you know he said you know last week that i've got you know the results tell me i have some thinking to do well is that thinking going to result in justin trudeau making some changes to these policies maybe trying to uh, buy himself some time before you know uh to put the carbon tax battle off for a little bit go back to those provinces and see if there's some middle ground to be found i think what voters said in the election is, is they told all these parties Find middle ground, find compromise. We're not going to reward any single one of you with a majority mandate to govern. So go back to the drawing board and try to make things
0: work. But, uh, course, but he's not going to give in on the carbon tax, right? That's, you would think
1: not. Yeah. You would think not. I mean, that's a signature policy. He's not going to. I mean, does he try to double down and, and, and uh, you know push hard on the message that I'm really, other than Andrew Shear, I'm the only pipeline alley you have, ally you have in Ottawa uh, of all all the parties there other than conservatives so you know did he try to restate uh, the good things he's done I mean I, I think he's in a bit of a box because he's 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 restated those things many times and that's not seeming to uh, deal with the anger so yeah I'm not sure where he goes on this but he's he's got to figure some way of sending a message to those two provinces that um, you know, um, I'm, I, I am interested in hearing more of what your concerns are. And, yes, I am going to try and find a way to deal with those frustrations and concerns, but I'm not sure what it is.
0: Now, looking at this from the perspective of national unity, which has been raised a few times uh, or more in the last week, what responsibility do the premiers have to try to keep the federation together and to kind of uh, press down on this rising sentiment in Western Canada? And to what extent will they simply say, "Well, you know what? That creates political leverage. We're going to use that to uh, to ask the federal government for more and to extract more from from Ottawa, basically."
1: Yeah, it certainly seems to be the latter, doesn't it? Uh, yeah. So far um again i mean the response i mean not, there's really two ways and you sort of identified them. two ways to go on this you can either um try to tamp down that sentiment and say look give give us time here we've made our case again we we, we have made the case all along but now we have a new uh, shape of a government uh in in ottawa we have a, a, a new federal parliament it's a different parliament than we had before and so you either see opportunity there or you see more of a problem and so far the two premiers that have been most outspoken, uh, Scott Moe and Jason Kenney in Saskatchewan and Alberta, have gone the other way. They've they've said, look, uh, we now have a, a... This is an unfriendly parliament. We have a federal legislature in Ottawa, and so we are going to push even harder. You know, at, at, I think at some point there will be some sort of push back against them to say look you need a, you need a deal you know you know look at what's right for the for the unity of the country here and stop trying to play these these divisions uh, for your own uh, political gain they'll deny that of course uh, they'll deny that's what they're doing and you know they they say they have a case to make that Alberta is being treated unfairly Saskatchewan is being treated unfairly and why would they back down from that so at some point they they're gonna have a calculation to make about you know whether uh, whether pushing as hard on this as, as as they have is pushing the country into you know uh, more and more uh, of a of a dangerous unity situation, and I don't know whether we'll see at that point whether they would pull back or whether they would see that as yet even greater advantage and push even harder.
0: All right, let's talk about Andrew Shear. A week ago on election night, and in the twenty four hours after that, I think. There was a sentiment that that Andrew Scheer had, while he didn't win the election, had done pretty well. He had gained seats. He had won the popular vote. He intended to stay on. But uh, as the week progressed, I felt like things uh, were not so much moving in his favor. Uh, It's still uncertain, I think, as to whether there's enough momentum to force him out of his job. But uh, there were some interviews he gave and some, some thoughts that were shared that I think gave pause to some conservative supporters. So where do you think that debate stands right now?
1: Uh, I think it's, you know, I guess what I'm watching for here is the next couple of months. I mean, we know uh, that Andrew Shear is, you, you know, whether getting into two minutes, it's fairly easy to explain. We know he's going to face uh, a leadership review at the party convention in, uh, in April in Toronto. And what delegates to that convention are going to be asked by secret balloters whether they want to trigger the leadership selection process. Which is basically, if you say yes, we want to trigger the leadership selection process, and that motion passes, then that tells you there's fairly deep dissatisfaction within the ranks of Conservatives, and then we will have a leadership uh, race within uh, the Conservative Party. You know, there's some runway between now and April, and I think a lot of it depends on uh, two things. A, how does Andrew Shearer um, what role is Andrew Andrews going to play in this minority parliament? Is you know is he is he going to demonstrate? Is he going to appear to be clearly a uh, a government and prime minister in waiting, uh, or is he uh, going to be purely sniping from the sidelines and and watching? You know uh, perhaps this minority parliament actually you know actually work, and if there's deals being made not just with conservatives but with the Democrats and others to make the government work. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what kind of a what kind of a path he can choose uh, to attack what's actually happening. I mean, the election results uh, we touched on earlier, Canadians, you know didn't want to reward any single party. So if it starts to work and stuff starts to get done, what's Andrew Shear's role going to be in that? And the other thing I'm watching for is to see how much uh, how much the undermining of Andrew Shear uh, either does it does it pick up or does it fade away in the next couple of months leading up to the uh, to the convention? I think that'll tell us a lot about uh, what he's going to be facing there. If people keep coming forward within the Conservative Party saying this is an election we should have won, and Andrew Shear should have won it and he didn't, uh, and that picks up steam, and he finds himself constantly fending off those attacks. It's hard to see how he survives, uh, you know, uh, how how he gets through that convention without the, the delegates triggering a uh, leadership group. I think the other thing I'm watching for is how much of a serious sort of reflection does the Conservative Party, you know, take on what actually happened in the campaign. Yes, could it have been won by Andrew Shear, That's one point of view with all the damage and baggage that Justin Trudeau was not only carrying into the campaign, but, you know, picking up along the way. Um, you, you know whether that's going to be the, the single most important thing to delegates or whether there's going to be a conversation about what if nothing changes here? What if we don't change anything as a party? There are going to be policies debated at that convention too. And I look at these results, and I think a lot of people look at them and say, "You know, conservatives only ever win government if they can put together a coalition of those, uh, you know, that, that ten or twelve percent of people in the middle who are prepared to go conservative to liberal, largely based on economic policies." And do they still have those people? If they if there's no way to win those voters, it doesn't matter how many campaigns you have. If they if they can't convince people that. You know, they've got a, a, a real climate plan. If they can't convince people that, and those people, that group I'm talking about, that they have moved along on social issues, such as abortion, such as gay marriage, then I'm not sure how they ever convince those people that Mulroney used to get, and you know Diefenbaker used to get, and and to a certain extent Stephen Harper got. How do you get those people over to your, your side if you can't get them past their fundamental concerns about those kinds of policies. I think that's as big an issue for the party, is what are, what's our plan to go get those 10%? We won the popular vote, but we didn't win the people in the big cities. And if we can't win the people in the big cities, how are we ever going to get uh, pull enough Canadians together to form government?
0: Those are great questions, and ones that Conservatives will be deliberating on in the days and weeks ahead. Peter, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Always good to talk to you, Mark. Take care. That's CPAC's Peter Van Dusen. They returned us in government, but with a clear requirement
1: to work uh, with other parties.
0: Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Toronto Star, Robin Sears argues a minority government at a fractured nation means Justin Trudeau must learn to dance on eggshells. Sears writes... The Prime Minister must manage in a minority with three parties to his left on most issues. If he tax right and counts on the Tories to save him, we could be in a new election before the summer. The Tories are the only party with a full war chest at the end of a campaign and a weakened leader anxious for a rematch. If Trudeau tacks to the left on climate or tax fairness, he has half a dozen premiers jumping on his head, along with Canadian and international business investors. In the Globe and Mail, Dan McCarthy suggests MPs should take a trip across the country. McCarthy writes, We should look to our MPs to truly become national legislators, not simply representatives for their ridings. Today's MPs walk into a House of Commons that devalues collaboration and actively discourages cross-aisle friendships. Put them on buses and send them to have dinner with entrepreneurs, social activists, a fisherman, a block supporter, a canola farmer and a Fort Mac pipe fitter. Park the partisan talking points and commit to thinking deeply about the country they've chosen to serve. At globalnews.ca, Matthew Fisher asks, what's in store for Christia Freeland? Fisher writes, there are rumors Justin Trudeau may be considering giving Freeland a bigger portfolio. The only conceivably more prestigious department to run would be finance. Following such a path might make her a stronger candidate to succeed Trudeau as leader of the Liberal Party. But for continuity's sake, and because she may be able to burnish Trudeau's damaged reputation overseas, it is difficult to imagine that Freeland will not have her pick of ministries and that she will tell the Prime Minister that she wants to stay where she is at. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Monday, October 28th. Tune in to Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.